Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. You're listening to Spotlight, a show that takes place around big announcements, at conferences, in the hallways, and behind the scenes. It's about getting out and having meaningful conversations with real people in the community. It's Changelog in the Trenches, shining our spotlight. Welcome to our Spotlight series titled The Future of Node, recorded at Node Interactive 2016 in Austin, Texas. We produce this in partnership with the Linux Foundation, the Node.js Foundation, and it's sponsored by IBM and Strongloop. Check out IBM API Connect, a comprehensive solution to manage your entire API lifecycle from creation to management at developer.ibm.com slash API Connect. Also check out Loopback from Strongloop, a highly extensible open source Node.js framework that enables you to create dynamic end-to-end REST APIs with little to no coding at loopback.io. In this episode, I talk with Rachel White, technical evangelist at Microsoft about Node, IoT, robotics. We talked about making robots, inspiring developers to try new things, having fun as a developer, letting go of imposter syndrome, RFID implants, and making stuff for fun outside of our day-to-day jobs. Take a listen. So all I have is notes mm-hmm. is IoT. Okay. That's all I have for notes. That's fine. <laughs> let's talk about no bots. Let's talk about IoT. Um, are you part of Edge or what, no. what, what, do you, what do you do at Microsoft? Uh, I'm just a technical evangelist at Microsoft for the um, develop. Like I, I basically just work with developers um, and utilize Microsoft technology like Azure uh, with node deployment via like pushing to GitHub. You can like make a web app with node super easily. And we have a whole slew of uh, cognitive services like facial recognition, uh, emotional analysis, like text to speech stuff. And so I've been making interesting and fun web application demos in node so that- I recall, um, I got kind of have some of your story then because you were saying that you don't develop, you don't write um, production code. Production code. Yeah. But you create demos to get people excited about yeah. the production code, basically, so, what they could do with it. Yeah. So basically, I get to make whatever position. I want. It's, it's great. I love it. Because uh, then I, my only my only uh, drawback is I need to stop making so many things with cats. Okay. <laughs> um, like, you're, a, you're a cat fan, I assume. I, love, I, I saw your phone. Yeah. I love cats um, in, a, in a totally healthy cat lady way. Not a I'm going to be buried underneath lots of boxes and sweaters way. Some of the web apps that I made, though, um, yesterday I spoke about a Twitter bot that I made utilizing uh, Twitter streaming API, Microsoft's Face API, which is facial recognition. It's really cool. It's it's just like a REST API. You hit an endpoint with the path to the image that you're going to use. In this case, it's selfies. So people will tweet a selfie at this Twitter bot, uh, which is called Magical and Cute. And uh, I grab the image, I run it through the face API, and it gives me XY coordinates of a bunch of like face landmarks. And then I run it through Graphics Magic and do a bunch of overlays for like cute noses and cute ears. And it does this whole new uh, composited image that then gets tweeted back at the person. So I get paid to make things like that and wow. get people excited to try out of the box things um, that they might not necessarily be able to, you know, integrate into enterprise applications, but facial recognition could totally be tr- fun stuff. Yeah. You could totally use it for more applicable things. Uh, 
I would like to think that I'm more reaching out to the people that may not have uh, had too much experience with Node, and then they'll see this application that I always open source everything that I make, and I write the readmes super documented, not making any assumptions about what the user might know, down to go to the website and install Node and install NVM and do all of these steps. So hopefully they can make their own weird and cool stuff by the end of it. That's very interesting because you get a chance to like, one, open source fun, interesting projects, but also kind of use a creative side to yourself that I don't want to say not important because it's it's not production code, but yeah. at the same time you can kind of like, you have this level of freedom in your code that isn't restricted by business requirements. It isn't restricted by revenue generating things. And you can kind of like whimsically tinker, yeah. which to me is like a box of Legos. You know? Yeah. Uh, and the extra interesting thing is I've only been working with Node for about the past year. Uh, after JSConf 2014, I was sitting in a NodeBots panel and I saw all the really awesome stuff that Rick Waldron and Cassandra Perch and Francis Galata were making and I was like, I want to do this. And then it took me a week to blink an LED because I used a yellow LED and it was too bright in the room so I didn't even know that it was working. What? And that was my first <laughs> foray Dang. into Node, which I then kind of just pushed it aside because at that point in time I, I still was a like front end slash full stack, whatever, JavaScript developer, and I didn't have that much time. Um, and about a year, I actually just got the Facebook memory on my phone yesterday. A year ago yesterday, I finished my first Node project, which was also my first hardware project. And it was an automated cat feeder that I built utilizing Johnny5, a Node application with a web page, uh, where you go and push a button and it turns a servo and cat food comes out. And it was kind of exciting because that one was the longest readme I've ever written. And then I was so exhausted from finishing it. I published the repo. I tweeted about it. I posted it to Hacker News. I went to sleep and I woke up and it was like all over the internet. Um, some site in Japan wrote about it. I bet. <laughs> and they love cats there. Yeah, it was it like went over really well and so many people came up to me after giving talks about it saying I've never done any of these things before and you really inspired me to try and that's like something that I yeah. keep on hearing and it makes me feel so good because I want people to try new things and it's cool. I was uh, reading a book Essentialism. Have you heard of the book or read no. it? I always ask that question because a lot of people that I run into have read it, especially in the tech community. Um, but one thing they said in there about uh, learning is that you have to make learning fun, mm -hmm. right? If learning is kind of boring, yeah, you know, you don't absorb it the right way. It's it's that childlike, like when we're kids, we learn so much better than when I guess probably not so much better as an adult. But kids are sponges, and yeah. the reason why they are is because most of what they approach is in a fun way. And if ever you found, and you probably can agree with this, since this is kind of like your core role now is like whenever you approach things with a fun attitude, it's so much easier to kind of just get lost in it yeah. and kind of achieve flow quicker. Yep. And, and another thing too, a term that I learned recently from a good friend of mine, who's a self-taught chef autodidact learning where you learn by doing is pretty much the only way that I am good at 
absorbing any kind of information. If mm -hmm. I can't visualize exactly how something is working, then I'm not going to get the concept of it. You could explain theory to me all day and it's going to like fly in one ear out the other because I've been programming for like 15 years. I don't have a CS background and I'm still really, really terrible at memorizing syntax or like I don't know anything about like any kind of sorting. Like I don't know any of that stuff. I, uh, but I can probably figure anything out. So uh, I always tell people that I'm not a good engineer and then there's always like, oh, don't say that. And I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm not, I'm really good at problem solving though, which I would rather be proud of because I could figure something out. It might just take me a little bit longer. Mm. So it's probably good that I'm not writing production code. What makes you, how do you feel when I say this? Not an imposter. Um, that was something that I struggled with for a really long time because of uh, situations that I was in where when I did have the stress of writing code with testing and deadlines that people needed to use, I felt like I wasn't good enough because I wasn't fast enough. Um, I don't really feel that way anymore now that I have the, now that I'm lucky enough to have the freedom to be able to kind of control what I output into the world and really the only measure of my success in terms of like my job is how many people like it or how good I am at conveying my message. So it's kind of hard to be, to feel like an imposter when all I'm doing now is being myself and feeling comfortable in it. Yeah. A reason why I ask that is because for the changelog, our main show at changelog, which is our overarching brand, we've come to grips with that. What we feel makes the show good. My, my co-host and I, Jared and I, is that uh, we face our imposter syndrome so that our listeners don't have to. Yeah. You know, and so over the last several years, we've kind of coined certain inner taglines, so to speak, that kind of define us. Hacker to the heart is our main one now because it's like we feel like that's what really defines who we are. We're hackers, but we also get to the heart of a story. Yeah. And then uh, we always felt like that anywhere we go, we always feel like some level of imposter syndrome. Like earlier when I was sitting here talking to Thomas and Sam from IBM, I was sitting there thinking like, I don't belong here. Like I was not that I'm saying like, oh, I do belong here, but just like I had this level of anxiety in me thinking like, I don't belong here. Yeah. And I was just thinking about the the idea of people out there that feel like they don't belong. And what I think is cool about what you do is that you do it in a fun way and inviting people. And it's almost like permission to mess up in yeah. a way, you know, like if you're doing it for fun, you can approach it and mess up and be like, ha ha ha, whatever. Like, yeah. and the same with the people you're approaching, they don't have to feel like, oh man, I gotta be an engineer. I gotta get this right. I gotta have this certain way that defines who I am or whatever. I can, you can kind of let go of that yeah, imposter syndrome. I definitely mess up all the time. Uh, I don't think I've ever given a conference talk without having some kind of technical difficulties. And for Is the, it like your thing? Your, your yeah, but you know what? It doesn't phase me anymore. I just talk through it and make jokes, especially like giving hardware demos at conferences. It always goes wrong. And uh, I gave a hardware talk at Node Interactive EU and I was doing four hardware demos. And this was... Uh, they all worked, but one of them, I switched USB cords and had a lot of serial port issues. And 
And I was like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And I started having a live conversation with someone that was in the front row of the audience. It was Cassandra Perch. And we were like live debugging and figuring out the issue. And it only derailed like three minutes. And then it was okay. Anybody else might have just crumbled yeah, and under I'm, the pressure. I'm like, oh, whatever, I have to get through this. Otherwise, we're going to sit here and stare at each other for 20 minutes. And then even yesterday... I'm not giving hardware demos at the moment. I was demoing a new bot and you know, the internet was kind of spotty. It was still working. And then surprisingly, I didn't have any code errors. I forgot how to use PowerPoint. <laughs> so during my presentation, after I switched from the, the PowerPoint slides over to some live coding demonstrations, I needed to get back to my slides, but we were already halfway through and I couldn't remember that the key command on Windows is shift F5 to get to a specific slide. Of course, why would you remember that? <laughs> well, I tried alternate, I tried control, and I tried function F5 and it all didn't work. So then I just like started clicking right on every single slide to get back to like the 23rd slide. And I was just like, so how's everyone go? How's everybody doing? This is great. And then even the workshop after that, the code that I deployed for people to use had a bug in it. So we had to fix it together in order to get it to work. But it did work eventually and then everybody was really excited and I think that like mistakes are such a natural part of making something and I kind of think it's more human to have that happen organically and I know that that stresses out a lot of people especially when you're putting yourself out there but I think that if everybody mm -hmm. embraced their mistakes that we would be able to feel a lot more comfortable discussing a lot of different, um, you know, technical and even societal things. Yeah. I think a lot of people get hung up on the things they feel like they're not good at and it just, it's, it sort of paralyzes them mm -hmm. and that's, uh, it's just not cool. It doesn't do anybody any good because they get stuck and they never produce what would been, would have been cool. Yeah. And then the world doesn't grow from it. I, yeah. I think a that that fear prevents a lot of people from making awesome stuff and i it it makes me sad i mean i i fall victim to that too like there's do. a there's a ton of stuff that i still want to make that i've been putting off for like 2 years just cuz i'm afraid of starting it and then having to finish it mm. uh, like video games and sometimes the, the we don't do what we want to do because we're scared we'll succeed yeah and we're like but if that actually worked I'd have to like do it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, and it's like, not today. Yeah. I'll procrastinate. That's that's exactly how my first conference talk happened. I, I'm really good at writing abstracts apparently, and I submitted the RoboKitty abstract, and I was like, well, if it gets accepted, I guess I'll I'll build it, and it got accepted, and then I had to build it, and mm -hmm. I was like, oh great, I put myself in this situation, and now I have to do it. So tell me about RoboKitty. What happened there? Um, that was my automated cat feeder. Okay. I, I, I didn't know what the name was. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's called RoboKitty. Um, I was sitting at a bar with Jen Schiffer, and I was like, I think I want to start talking at conferences. Because I spoke at JS Fest in 2014, but it wasn't a technical talk. It was a part of DHTMLConf 2000, which was satirical talks. And instead of giving a satirical talk, I spoke about my life as a kid and a teen creating problems for other people on the internet because I was a total script kitty on AOL and cr have created a lot of problems and it was really fun and I was like I think I want to talk at conferences and do technical stuff it would be really fun and she encouraged me to just apply and I did 
and now here we are. <laughs> and I get to torture everyone with all of the fun things I make. How many talks later are we? Oh my gosh. Um, well, over 10, definitely. Uh, this year I spoke, I was invited to speak at Amazon. I spoke at Cascadia Fest, Dinosaur JS. I was in Europe for two weeks in Stockholm and Amsterdam and I spoke here. I've lost count. It's been a lot. Too many to count. Yeah. So you enjoy it, I assume. I do. I enjoy doing it. And that was the, the majority of that was before I took the role of a technical evangelist. So it was all in my spare time. Right. Which was. And now it's. Yeah. I thought it was. You do. I thought it was tired when I was doing it outside of work. And now that it's my job, I'm even more tired. So let's talk about. Uh, Let's talk about hardware for a bit, sure. and uh, which blends into Internet of Things and this new kind of world we're in, where you can, like, yeah. you know, I, I was actually talking to somebody several months ago who was uh, an engineer, but like a mechanical engineer, yeah. and what, for whatever reason, his job was drying up. So he had really good smarts yeah. as an engineer, and I was encouraging him, like, hey, you have the kind of mindset to get into software development, and you love hardware, you already know about all these things. Yeah. Have you considered learning JavaScript and getting into these things? So for people like like that, since you're an evangelist, it seems like your focus yeah. is like on is it on bringing new people in, or is it is it nurturing those who are already there? Which it's which would, is it a balance of both? It's definitely both. Um, an interesting thing because a, a colleague of mine in New York, who's also a technical evangelist at Microsoft, who was a friend of mine before either of us worked at Microsoft, he comes from that electrical engineering mechanical engineering I'm not sure which one it is right. he does a ton of hardware stuff and he's that's what he was so from electrical smart. engineering yeah and but he has a mechanical engineering back uh, yeah. degree so uh, his name is Andy Raitano and he makes custom hardware for the NES Wow. Yeah. So he made like custom mappers for additional memory so you can do more stuff with a Nintendo. And now he he started learning JavaScript and Node and made this amazing thing called Nest Spectre with another guy named Zach Johnson. And what it is, is it's uh, reading the memory from the Nintendo real time using Node.js and Socket.io. And it runs in the browser so you can connect to it on your phone while people are playing games. And there's things that you can modify by like every second you wait, you get another point. And you can, like for example, if somebody's playing Contra, you wait and they get 25 points and you hit in the browser, change random gun, and one of the players get a random gun while they're playing the ROM. That's something I love, especially people that don't come from programming backgrounds. They have a completely different yeah. way of thinking about stuff, and they have different totally. situations that they can apply to things. That's what I was trying to, to tell them. Like, you really should consider this. Cause yeah, it's really awesome. You have a different approach, and I think, well, on the change law, we also, one of the things we ask most guests on that show is sort of their backstory. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, we ask them, like, what got you into programming? Like, what, where did you fall in love with it? Where were you at in life? And more often than not, it's gaming. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's a, I think it's a T3I, the uh, Texas Instruments T3Is, I believe that's what it was called. But I didn't know one Jared did and uh, Mitchell Hashimoto did and several guests yeah. that come on the show have started out. And that was, wasn't Mitchell, it was somebody else. So I'm, I'm mixing up names. But either way, like gaming was this epicenter for like a breeding ground of, of yep. software developers. And these are people who have gone on to do some really cool stuff. And yeah. And so 
I guess putting that back to you is is um, do you find that the fun mechanism in what you do is what catches people, or what is it that you feel attracts people to, to software development that may not have otherwise done so, or dig deeper where they may not have thought so? I think that the fact that I can't speak, not that I can't, that I don't speak about things in overly technical terminology, and I really try... You seem and, very down to earth. Yeah, I really try and explain <clears throat> stuff in a way that makes sense. Uh, like, I'm talking about Markov chains and talking about, like, stochastic stuff. I don't even know what that word... I had to look it up. I was like, I don't know what this means. I know what Markov chains are and how they work, kind of. And so I'm explaining it and I'm giving, like, the technical definition and I'm like, yeah, let's just look at, like, a visual aid of how this works or, like, really just breaking things down in a simple way so that that is approachable. I also think the fact that I'm presenting things in an interesting setting is interesting to some people. Though at conferences, you can definitely tell you get a you get a lot of different people. You know, you get the people that are sent by their company that are already developing enterprise applications. They could not care less what I'm right. talking about. But I'm not there trying to speak to them. They already are involved in the community and utilizing it. I'm there for the people that are like, what if I could do that? And I just want people to feel like they could. Yeah. Um, I, we got derailed on my mention of my buddy trying to learn and we kind of got back into this other groove, but I want to go deeper into hardware and that kind of fun stuff. Like, so yeah. you've done some things with NoteBots, I believe, right? Yeah, I'm involved in a lot of NoteBot stuff. I used to do, well, I did the, I did the cat feeder. I have, uh, another, uh, talk that I have that is just about, you know, simple things that you can do with hardware that are impressive and people love lights so there's one where you're controlling a LED strip that you have a flex sensor and it makes the lights light up incrementally and mm -hmm. it's something simple but it's super impressive and there's the, the the NodeBots NYC group where people go and they meet up and the format is like one person gets up and presents something really cool that they've made and then there's like a little hack night or something like that. Most, But most of the stuff that I've done is just really weird and I just remembered something that you're probably going to enjoy to hear about. I actually have an RFID chip implanted in my hand. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have a little RFID chip right here. Can you feel it? Yeah. Do you want to touch it? It's right there. Oh, I feel it. Yeah. So that's, I. That's crazy. <laughs> so I did a project where if I don't know if you've played Fallout or if you remember old yeah. like those terminals, the green, uh, the green like CLI that you would get. I made a CSS version of it in a browser that you scan an RFID tag. And if it's not me, like if it's any other RFID tag, it says access denied and it flashes on the screen and there's like a glow on the text. But then if I scan my hand, you get a bunch of like 1990s hacker scrolling text with an ASCII skull that says like access granted. And that project is the most ridiculous thing to show people because obviously they can't replicate it unless they go get an, Im well they could, but not with one in their body, but it's like a hardware example of something that's super weird, but all it is is a Node.js application with Socket.io. Dedicated. And some fancy CSS, and that 
it's probably the weirdest thing that I've done. Okay, so how did you get in your body? Um, I went to a professional piercer in Brooklyn, and there's a company called Dangerous Things that sells them. It's a tiny RFID chip that's encased in um, surgical-grade medical glass, mm -hmm. and they have a syringe that has a really wide opening, and all they do is inject it into the web in your hand and pull the plunger, and then that's it. It's in there. Just like the movies. Yeah, just like the I've movies. seen that. I've seen that in movies, and they're always like. It, I mean, it's like the same. Born, wasn't it in Born Identity? I uh, believe he had something in I him, and he finally dug it out or something. I mean, it's exactly the same thing as the one that they put in pets. Okay. Yeah, the stuff they'll like put it in a shoulder blade for a cat or a dog, and then scan it if they get lost. I have one in my body. If if you have. Is that an iPhone or mm -hmm. an Android? iPhone. Oh, I iPhone closes off RFID stuff, but like if somebody with an Android phone scans my hand, um, the text that pops up is "Follow me on Twitter" with what? my Twitter name. Yeah. Oh my. It's readable and writable. Can you change it? Are yeah, you, oh, I can. I can totally change it. And um, how? How does? It, how do you? I guess with. So the way that it works is, I mean, it's it's not powered. It has a wire antenna that's wrapped around the chip, mm -hmm. and so the power comes from the devices that you're doing the scanning with. So when it's closed. Uh, the, the near field, field communication stuff allows you to, it's really small. I don't remember the size of text on it. Like I could pretty much just store, you know, a URL to a website or some text and stuff like that. Nothing like no sensitive information or okay. anything. Very, very interesting. <laughs> um, so this, this series we're doing for the conference is about the future, mm -hmm. the future of node, uh, someone with your experience, 15 years of, of, of experience developing software, the coolest job ever, in my opinion. Um, hardware in your body. What what uh, what role does Node play in the future of hardware, IoT? Where are things going? Oh my gosh. Uh, hopefully, they're still going in a weird direction for me, at least. Otherwise, I'm going to be out of a job. Uh, I, I hope that honestly, there's a f more of a focus on making secure systems, especially like the state of our world. Like I think that a lot of information needs to be more private. And the big problem with hardware and IoT devices now that a lot of manufacturers are making are they just don't care. Like they're not assuming that peop that their information is going to be vulnerable on their like Wi-Fi connected crockpot, but like the the botnet thing that right. just happened recently. It's it's just like uh, it's a careless uh, process that people are taking into account. And one thing that I've seen a lot uh, in the Node community and the hardware community are people are trying to think of ways to utilize these skills that we have using the technology that we have to help make things better for people, whether that is, you know, making a, uh, a a Twitter bot that automates your streaming timeline to make sure that you're not being harassed and it'll automatically report that to Twitter or it'll block the person that's harassing you or, you know, node-powered hardware that helps people. I, I hope that the future just encourages people to keep on being innovative and finding ways to utilize technology in ways that are more important than necessarily enterprise-based. Hopefully this background noise isn't distracting to you because this is the loudest it's been <laughs> since I've been sitting here. And most people respect the fact that we're sitting over here recording, but clearly not the people that are passing by. Yeah. Anything else on your mind? I mean, I know the, 
you're an interesting person with a lot of fun ideas. I just really hope that um, people keep on making stuff outside of their day-to-day job that they're interested in. Because even if it doesn't, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, like, I only want to program if it's going to make me money. And I understand that's, like, super important. But if you have the time and the capabilities, make cool stuff and weird stuff that people find interesting that will get new programmers interested in trying something new that'll like inspire a student that maybe you know just is writing python or java stuff because i also help out at a lot of hackathons and some of the students are trying node applications for the first time and they're like i can't believe how easy this is and it's a really good feeling to be able to expose people to something that they wouldn't have picked up and tried on their own i guess maybe one closing thought i might have is uh what on the hardware side or whatever side is most interesting to you, what's happening in Node right now that you're most excited about? Uh, the Tesla is really, really great. Uh, I haven't gotten to play with it that much, but it has Node just like on it, so you don't have to um, run things. Like if I'm working with the Arduino and I want to run Johnny Five, I have to just you know use an Arduino as a um, middle point, I guess. The, like, the code runs on my machine instead of running on the microcontroller, but Tesla makes it even easier for people to run Node on the microcontroller and not be able to be, like, constantly tied to your computer. So I think that we're going to see a lot more community support for people that are building more Node-based hardware now that they have the means to do so. Yeah, especially with the VM neutrality thing, it makes it a lot easier yeah. to to open up the VM market yep. at least, you know? Also, the the Johnny 5 kit that came out, it also has, a, like, a kit that is going to be able to have people make so much more, like, node-based hardware, and I'm really excited to see what people are going to make. When you say Tesla, do you mean the car? Oh, Tesla. Tesla. Yeah. I was um, thinking you said Tesla, and I'm thinking, oh, like, no. okay, dang. I mean, it would be you rad. You must make some good money, then you own a Tesla. I'm just, I'm <laughs> no, kidding. I don't have I a like, car. <laughs> Uh, the Tesla. Uh, what is the Tesla? The Tesla is a microcontroller that has. <laughs> let me. Look, I can't pull. remember. I'll pull it up. I'll read you. This is what I said. I'm like, I can't remember anything ever unless it's weird facts about no worries. things. So the Tesla Two is a robust IoT and robotics development platform that uh, leverages all of the libraries of Node.js to create use- useful devices in minutes. Um, it has a ton of stuff already on it, which is great, too. So, like, before you would need to get, you know, just a regular Arduino that doesn't have Wi-Fi and you have to add a, a Wi-Fi thing on it or you have to use a particle photon that already is Wi-Fi enabled and uh, be able. you'd have to get other things to be able to make stuff. I'm really good at speaking vaguely, but like it has a ton of stuff already built on it, which, you know, it has two USB ports, Wi-Fi. It has an Ethernet cord if you need it. It's super fast. I've only done a little bit of work with it, but I know a lot of the people that are involved in um, the development community for it are working super hard. Plus, it's totally open source. So if somebody wants to make some modules for it, Mm. they can just go ahead and do it and submit it and try and get it added in. And I think that it's only going to help especially like the Johnny Five community grow even more because mm-hmm. uh, before we would have to like rely on um, you know like Chris Williams' Voodoo Spark firmware uh, which was great and that's like the first thing that I tried hardware on but now we're just making or well, now that's what I had to install to get hardware to work with um, Node but now there's such 
less of a boundary for people to just get up and running instead of having to, you know, install some stuff in order to get where they needed to be. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? This is, uh, like I said, the Future of Node series. We're trying our best to inform and encourage the community to try new things, to, yeah. to get involved. If, you, if you're thinking of making something but think that people might not like it, do it anyway because you're never going to know unless you try. I heard a quote from David Lynch once that was in regards to his films where when he has a vision all of the creative process that he has that goes into it is super important to him and it has a lot of meaning while he's making something but once you're done and you release that into the world your vision doesn't really matter anymore which sounds like you know unencouraging but just think of when you put yourself out there the way that people will view the art that you're trying to make because I think that code is art uh, you're still making something from nothing. Totally. And I, I think that that's something that a lot of people don't think about. And I just I just want them to try. It's a good message. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. It was nice talking to you. Yay. <laughs> Thanks again to our friends at the Linux Foundation and the Node Foundation for working with us on this project, as well as our friends at IBM and Strongloop for sponsoring this podcast series. It was a blast being there. We'll be there again next year, so look out for us in 2017 at Node Interactive. If you want to hear more JavaScript-focused podcasts from Changelog, check out JS Party, our new live weekly show with Michael Rogers, Alex Sexton, and Rachel White. Head to changelog.com slash jsparty. Click subscribe. Don't miss the show. And thanks for listening.